Life always has its temptations. We're never free from pressures to sin, to disobey God. But this time of lockdown, I'm going to call it lockdown. I know we're not in the sort of lockdown that Italy or Spain are, but let's call it lockdown. This time of lockdown for many involves particular temptations. Being at home on your own or with family may bring temptations, including some stresses and bad tempers between people cooped up at home together. Uh, Some people have got a lot of time on their hands. The devil makes work for idle hands may not be a saying from the Bible, but it is a saying with some truth to it, especially when you've got time on your hands and the Internet and the TV available. So this evening, I want to preach to help us to live a holy life in lockdown. But it wouldn't help us this evening just to hear a list of don'ts or even a list of do's. Instead, we need a more thorough message from the Bible on how to live a holy life in lockdown. So let's turn again to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, through to chapter 5, verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, I expect you'll still manage to follow, but it it will be a lot easier if you can see those verses in front of you. Ephesians 4, verse 17, through to chapter 5, verse 16. Ephesians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in the town of Ephesus, 2000 years ago but God has made it part of the Bible and that means it is part of his message to us today and in this part of Ephesians God tells us the things we need first before we can live rightly and then what that right living is like so that's what we're going to do this evening we've got two halves really the things we need first before we can live rightly and then what that right living is like So first you need this, and this is verses 17 to 24. Verse 17 to 19 here describe people living without God, and they're described as far from God, separate from him, hard-hearted, indulging in sensuality and impurity. And Paul says to those Christians, now that's what you were like. That's what the Christian once was like. But the Christian has been changed, radically, decisively changed. How has that happened? Well, that's verses 20 to 24. The answer to how a person who was like verse 17 to 19 gets changed is given straight away in verse 20. Verse 20 says, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way, that way that's just been described. That never got you to know Christ. And that gives us straight away how the person's changed by coming to know Christ. In fact, verse 21 piles it on much more. It talks about hearing Jesus, being taught in Jesus, according to the truth that's in Jesus again and again and again. It says it's all about Jesus. The way to be changed is by knowing Jesus. And this isn't just some vague, woolly idea that gives you a fuzzy feeling about Jesus, because it says in verse 21, it's in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. In other words, the truth that Jesus embodied. He displayed the truth about God, the truth about you and me, and the truth about the change that we need. And the truth about the change we need, that tells us also 
this isn't all just about us knowing some facts about Jesus in our head and going off thinking, well, good, I know a bit more. This is also about Jesus getting us to see that we need to be changed. Verse 21 puts it this way. Sorry, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Paul isn't here saying to the Christians something they should be doing now. He's telling them what they did back when they became Christians. He's saying Jesus showed you your old self was with all its sin was like a dirty, smelly, louse infested set of clothes that you wanted to get rid of and put it off. But as well as putting something off, verse 24 says you did something positive. You put something on. Verse 24. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God gives us a new self, like like a clean, fresh, beautiful pair of clothes. We put that on. And it's described here as something we must do. Turn from our old way of life to a new way of life. Put off the old clothes and we must put on the new clothes. But this is far from a sort yourself out, turn over a new leaf and make yourself better message. Because in the middle we have verse 23. Verse 23, to be made new, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Paul says to them, you put off your old self you put on your new self but you were made new in other words God did it he made you new it's this mysterious combination of God works in us so we exercise our responsibility and put off the old way and put on the new way and remember this is all not what the Christians are told to do now it's a description of what happened when they were changed the best example of this I can think of was Jesus standing at the grave of a friend who died. His name was Lazarus and calling out, Lazarus, come out. And he didn't go into the grave and pull him out and give him the kiss of life. He commanded Lazarus to come out. You might say ridiculous command, impossible command. But the words of Jesus had power to enable Lazarus to obey that command and he came out. And the words of Jesus call us, put off that old self, put on this new self. It would be an impossible command for us if it were not for this. The Holy Spirit gives those words power so we can and do obey them. Well, this is wonderful news. We can be radically changed by Jesus. And so if you're not a Christian, you need this. You need this and it is offered to you by Jesus. You need to find out about Jesus to see the truth about him and the truth about yourself. So you put off that old way of life and put on your new way of life and are made new by God. You need it and it's offered to you. Find out about Jesus and ask him to give it to you. And you need to remember that because I'm about to tell you a way of life that we should live. I'm about to describe it to you in a few minutes. 
But it's something you can't do unless and until you've had that change. Think of it like this. Imagine an eight-year-old and he's sitting in his high chair and he's feeding his food and he's stuffing it in his mouth and he's getting it all over his face and he's throwing it around the place and he's making a terrible mess. And you say to him, don't be such a baby. Well, that's unreasonable. He is a baby. Ten years later, if he's stuffing his food in his mouth and all over his face and throwing it around, well, then you can say to him, don't be such a baby. Because he isn't a baby any longer. Ten-year-olds can act like babies sometimes, but they shouldn't because they're not babies. Now, we have a similar lesson this evening. It's no surprise when people who are that old sinful self act like it. But Christian brothers and sisters, we are not that old sinful self. But sadly, we sometimes act like it. And when that happens, we need to remind ourselves, I am not that person anymore. I put off the old person and put on the new and God changed me. Sometimes we're like that 10 year old and we need to tell ourselves, don't be such a baby. Well, that was first you need this and that allows us to move on to then you should live like this. This is chapter four, verse 25 into chapter five. It's a bit debatable where we could take it up to. For this evening, we're going to take it up to verse 16. Then you should live like this. Notice how verse 25 starts. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. Therefore, in other words, because, because of the change that God has made in you. Because you've put off the old self and been made new, so put off words and actions that are characteristic of that old self and put on words and actions that are characteristic of the new self. That's what we've got in verse 25 onwards. Often, but not always, coming in pairs. Pairs of things to put off and things to put on, along with a an explanation, a reason for why. Paul's already explained the gospel, but he never wants to leave it far behind. So he always gives another gospel reason with things. I'm not going to go through all these pairs. That's something that would be helpful this week to do in your own home. And go through this chapter, 4 verse 25 through to 5, let's say verse 20. Try to spot pairs, things to put off, things to put on and a reason why. But tonight, I'm just going to pick out five of them, five that I think are particularly um, relevant to us in lockdown. How do we live a holy life in lockdown? We need what we've just heard. And then here are five things to do about it. Here's the first. How you speak to others. Verse 29 and 30. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful to building up, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then notice, here's the reason. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We're told, put off unwholesome talk, talk that is, and put on talk that is helpful. Now, that word unwholesome there you see in verse 29, that actually is the word for rotten fruit. 
children, I expect you've seen some rotten fruit. Picture a bowl of apples. And there they are with one that is going brown and mouldy and disgusting. What's going to happen to the rest of the fruit if that rotten apple is left there? Well, the rottenness will spread. It will infect the others. And our conversations can be like that. They can spread gossip and grumbling and putting others down and snide remarks and unclean jokes. Uh, a horrible rottenness that, that spreads to others. Uh, you know, at Hollywell, I've preached many times against gossip and it still happens. And it should be to us just as shocking as if after church we heard people letting off the worst swear words to hear them gossiping. Put it off. But there's something positive to put on in verse 29. Talk that is helpful for building others up. I love this little phrase here where it says that it may benefit those who listen because it's literally that it may give grace to those who hear. That's amazing. When you think that grace is God's undeserved goodness to us. It's saying your words could bring someone an undeserved gift from God. Think of that. As you remind them of a truth from the Bible, as you tell about them about an answered prayer. As you show them how the Lord Jesus can help them with something they're struggling with. Or maybe just as in normal conversation, God comes naturally into the way you talk. You can give them an undeserved gift from God. So, living a holy life in lockdown, those of you who are living with other people, what do your words do to them? Do your words spread rottenness or give a... Give a gift of God's grace to them. I hope you're phoning people who are lonely. And there are certainly plenty of messages whizzing around on WhatsApp and on Facebook. Let's make sure that doesn't become gossip or focusing people on fear or spreading superstitious ways of approaching the Bible. How about instead focusing people on things to be thankful for? Reasons to trust God in the current situation. I've been glad to see that happening on the uh, Brothers WhatsApp group. That's great. Let's work at that. Plenty more could be said on that. Let's move to our second example. Your attitude to others. Your attitude to others. This is verses 26 to 27 and 31 to 32. Families stuck indoors together could be a recipe for bad tempers and irritations. And verse 26 says to us, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, people living in the Arctic shouldn't take that too literally and say, great, I can have six months of indulging my anger because the sun isn't going to go down for six months. No, what it means is deal with anger and fallouts quickly. Don't let them fester. Be quick to admit when you've been wrong. Or be quick to admit when maybe someone else has been wrong, but you've overreacted. Or maybe it's neither, but there's still a fallout. Be quick to work at getting back on good terms. But don't calm yourself down, but on the inside, still be bearing that grudge, clinging on to the grievance. Notice verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness. Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. If rage and anger are like 
fat that's in a pan with the heat under it, spitting and angry. Bitterness is like when the heat has cooled down and the fat has congealed, nasty. Bitterness, clinging on to a grudge. Stop turning over in your mind that way that someone else has hurt or annoyed you. Instead, here's the positive to put on. Verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Hear that last bit again. Just as in Christ God forgave you. That just as squashes all our excuses. I've sinned against God again and again and again and again and again and again. So how can I imagine it's my right to hold on to a grudge against that person who's who's hurt me a mere 10 times? And if I'm honest, usually it's far less than 10 times. Let's move on to a third example sacrificial love here's another aspect of holy living holy living isn't just uh, these attitudes and actions and putting off uh, how we treat others in the way that i've just said it's also having a love that's sacrificial chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 be imitators of god therefore as dearly loved children and give and live a life of love just as christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now we could take weeks over these two verses because they're so rich and enjoy spending time contemplating how Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. <laughs> and that's a worthwhile phrase to spend time on. But the point here is for us to love and give ourselves for others some sort of reflection of him and that includes sacrificial love that might appear very small might not even be noticed at all so i want to give you just two examples of that my mother was a missionary in the philippines and she was quite well known and highly regarded but she started to think after 10 years out there that god was calling her back to the uk to be an ordinary wife and mother at home and I have her Bible where she's recorded her seeking God's will over this and her struggles over it because she felt the loss of status it would be. But she also thought this was how she should be serving God. This was the way that she ought to be serving God in sacrificial love. So those who are caring for others, parents, maybe mothers especially, you may be finding it hard work giving yourselves for your children or whoever it is you're caring for. But be encouraged that can be sacrificial love that's like the Lord Jesus. Here's another example that may seem very small one to you. But what's going to happen to economies over the next, I don't know, year? It's looking dire, isn't it? How many people are going to be without work in this country, let alone some other countries are going to suffer Far worse. I think of South Africa. Their lockdown is so much more severe than ours and they've already got 30% unemployment before this all started. There's going to be some pretty severe financial hardship. 
Well, setting up a standing order to go from your bank account to some of these people in need, to some charities that help them with their need, that doesn't feel romantic. Hardly anyone will know you've done that. But that can also be sacrificial love, like the Lord Jesus. Far more could be said about that. But let's move on to a fourth example. Here's number four. Not a hint of sexual immorality. This is chapter five, verse three through to verse 12. I'm not going to read all that. It's quite a big section. I'm not even going to try to represent it all. But just note, it is a big section. God has a lot to say against sexual immorality and it is worded strongly. Just have a look at verse three. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual impurity, of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Notice the link again. It's it's reminding you, you put off that way of life and these actions and thought patterns, sexual impurity, they're of that old way of life and you've become something new. And the Bible does not, it does not allow you to say, well, I've been forgiven, so I'm sure it'll all pan out okay. If you're carrying on in this unrepentantly, it says to you, verse five, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Now, why is this relevant to us in lockdown? (laughs) The answer is easy, because of TV and because of the Internet. There's probably other answers, too, but those two are big enough for us to need this message. I don't think I need to illustrate. You know the clickbait there is there on the Internet just trying to get you to look at something to provoke your lust. And especially if you're on your own, it's such a danger. You know that if you go on iPlayer, drama after drama after drama will say across it includes adult themes. And that euphemism means includes actors and actresses taking off their clothes and simulating sex acts. And if you watch that, what are you doing with chapter five, verse three? What you are doing is you are saying, God, shut up. I'm going to ignore your commands and your warnings. We are surrounded by temptation. The Bible says in verse 15, be very careful then how you live. It doesn't say, oh, I didn't mean it that strongly. You're all forgiven, so it will all be okay." It says, no, be very careful then how you live. Big subject, but I'm going to move on to the fifth and the final example. Make the most of every opportunity. This is a putting on one. This is a wholly positive one. Chapter five, verse 16. Five, verse 16. Make the most of every opportunity. I say it's wholly positive, but the reason is because the days are evil. Now, a few weeks ago, if anyone saw toilet rolls in Tesco, buy them up. Buy them up quick. Get them before they all go. Grab all the toilet rolls you can. Buy them up. Now, 
I'm not promoting panic buying. But verse 16 is literally buy up the time. That's what it literally says. Buy up the time. Grab it and make good use of it while you can. If you waste five pounds, you may be able to earn it again. But if you waste five hours, you won't get them back again. Buy up the time, it says. Now, this isn't supposed to make us never relax. This doesn't say never watch a cat doing funny tricks on YouTube. Never mess around with your friends. It, it isn't supposed to make us never relax, but it is supposed to make us careful. Some people have a lot of time on their hands at the moment. I know that's not everyone, but there are quite a lot of people who have quite a lot of time on their hands at the moment. I know we try always to persuade ourselves we're busy, but be realistic if that's you, one of the people with time on your hands. Are you buying up the time? making the most of the opportunity? Or is it being frittered away on surfing the net, looking at your phone, watching too much TV? Now, this isn't a negative don't command. It's a positive command. It's saying you've got opportunity. Opportunity to seek God. Opportunity to better get, get a better grip of the Bible. Opportunity to pray for him to work in power. Opportunity to... Pray for him to have mercy on people who don't know him. You've got opportunity to memorise some scripture. What a great thing to do. Get it, get the Bible hardwired into your mind. You've got opportunity to read a good Christian book and grow. You've got opportunity to get on the phone to an unbeliever. Ask them how they're doing. Try to slip into the conversation pointing them to Jesus. You've got opportunity. Use it for good. Because the days are evil. There is need, great need. And the time ticks on and ticks on. And people die. And Jesus will one day return. This is better than buying up toilet roll from Tesco. Buy up the time. Don't let it just drain through your hands. Well, I've very quickly gone there through five examples of holy living in a life of lockdown. Have a look sometime this week at the rest of chapter four and five and see if you can spot those pairs of put off, put on, and usually with a gospel reason next to them. But let's go back to where we started. Have you come to know Jesus and been made new by him? If you haven't, that's what you need. And Jesus offers it to you. Get to know him. Read a gospel in the Bible. See what he's like and ask him for that change in you. And if you have, remind yourself, remind yourself you've put off that old self and you put on the new self made new by God. So put off the actions of the old self, put on the actions of the new self. If you need to tell yourself, don't be a baby when you find yourself acting like that old self that you've grown out of. Let's, even in lockdown, show people we're those who know Jesus and have been changed by him. Let's show it by living like him.